track your marketing efforts towards the project and put that time and expense into the project, not into some other bucket where it's a black hole and you have no idea. So that your true profitability from the day you started chasing the project and you won the project and all the efforts, the RFQ and the RFP and meeting with the client is tracked, even though it's non-billable, it's tracked as a true cost. This is The Business of Architecture. Hello, I'm Enix Sears, and this is the podcast for architects, where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. Now, let's get down to business. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of BQE Software, the makers of BillQuick and Archie Office. Their flagship product, BillQuick, has over 350,000 users worldwide. Shafat Kazi developed his first business software at the age of 22, and he has since been involved in designing and developing business software solutions for their customers around the world. Now, Shafat, because he's been able to work and consult with hundreds of thousands of firms around the world, he really has an in-depth knowledge of business management and accounting practices for small and medium-sized businesses in the AE industry. So with that, let's get down to business. Well, let's start out by giving our listeners a background on uh, where you've been in your life and uh, just a little brief biographical sketch. Okay, great. Um, so uh, I'll give you like a quick rundown story about who I am <clears throat> and how I am where I am. So I was born in uh, a place called Kashmir. Many of you probably don't even know where Kashmir is. It's like north of India. It's a very beautiful place, like a beautiful valley in Himalayas. Um, I migrated to U.S. as a student and uh, went to New York. Um, of all the places, I ended up going to Buffalo, New York, which you know is extremely cold, uh, similar to Kashmir. So I was kind of used to the weather, but it was actually worse than Kashmir in terms of the weather. So I did my uh, master's from uh, the University of, you know, sunny State University of New York, SUNY New York. And, um, and it, after I graduated, I had, you know, uh, a master's in science and I had taken computer, um, uh, you know, application courses, computer science courses. I was a great programmer at the very inception. I actually wrote a medical billing software uh, while I was a student, and that was then used by over 250 doctors in the uh, state of New York and New Jersey. Uh, and I sold that company before I migrated to California, and the passion for me to move to California was because I wanted to really apply my knowledge of the computer uh, programming and computer science and my knowledge of engineering, which was uh, at that point in time structural, and I had specialized in earthquake engineering because earthquakes kind of fascinated me. So I wanted to apply that, you know, and create something more modern and more high-tech in terms of analysis and design for, for the engineering world. And California is by far the mecca of uh, technology. It's also the mecca of structural engineers. Some of the world's best structural engineers, you know, are in California. So I said, you know, it's a great place. And of course, who can beat the weather, you know, considering Buffalo. So anyway, long story short, I landed a job in L.A. And um, uh, and very soon, because of my expertise in technology and all that, I joined the Structural Engineers Association of California. And uh, in less than a year or two years, um, 
I was the youngest chair to lead a committee called Computer Applications Committee. Um, and one of those things, you know, things we used to do back then, before the internet, of course, was the fact that we would uh, we would run surveys, and these surveys would get mailed, uh, and uh, we sent out about uh, several thousand surveys about you know gen general business practices, like what do you use for you know for your drafting, you know how are you doing your uh, accounting or billing, you know how are you running your business, what are your biggest challenges. You know, what's your average size project? Where do you do mostly? So, uh, so I remember um, 1993, 94, um, when we did that survey, results came back, and I took the results home, and I spent a weekend reviewing it, and I saw something that was clearly a big hole in the firms that were practicing, um, and the hole was really in business management. There was uh, open frustration with. Uh, with the the businesses about not having a good business management tool, not having a good software to track their time, to track their expenses, to do their billing, accounting, business intelligence, and reporting and scheduling, all of those things. And and I, by that time, had become a partner in the firm. <clears throat> so, um, so I realized, you know, that those frustrations were real because I was also frustrated with those same pain points. Um, and that's when, you know, I had that epiphany of saying, oh, this is finally where I want to be. Uh, I want to, I understand the business. I ran my firm for a few years. I do see the pain points. I want to develop a, a technology, a software that <clears throat> makes it all easy. And Windows uh, was kind of new. You know, people were still in the world of DOS uh, back in 93. We were coming into Windows 95 about being released. Windows 3 was the operating system. So I wrote, you know, I, I really decided to start my own company, BQE Software, and and uh, I remember I was newly married. We we had a child, you know, my son was only six months old, um, and my wife had taken off from work because of the young child. And I went to her and I said, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to write a software, and that will really help thousands of businesses to solve their biggest pain point that I see through the survey. Uh, you know, this goes without saying, she almost fainted when she heard that because, you know, here we are, we just bought a home and we have a young child. Um, but she supported me and we both uh, agreed that it will be done. And um, and I started my, um, you know, company BQE Software and uh, started programming, you know, literally writing the product uh, in my garage uh, as I was trying to research and visit other engineering offices and architectural offices. Any was my target industry. <clears throat> and um, May of 1995, I believe, <clears throat> was when we released the first uh, product called uh, BillQuick 1.0, which was really <clears throat> designed to solve all of those pain points that I had heard about. But it was really the first step towards the towards the release. Now, what's interesting is that the day I released the software. I immediately realized that uh, that I hadn't just solved architects and engineers problem, I had actually solved the problem for the general professional services domain. So attorneys, uh, accountants, IT consultants, graphics designers, business consultants, so they all work similarly, you know. So I started, you know, and, and the web internet was kind of new, so we were getting traffic on the web uh, and we started getting uh, 
interest from all of these industries. And uh, I knew that I had done something bigger than I thought I, I understood. And, and we started refining the product. And of course, you know, here we are uh, 20 years down the road and, and the company's grown. You know, we are over 200 employees now. We have over 350,000 active users. Um, and Bill Quake, you know, further then acquired Archie Office and Engineer Office, and we uh, started addressing the pain points of architects and engineers more specifically through those products. Um, and uh, and I think by far, um, today I can safely say that we are from the same fabric that architects and engineers are. And Stephen Burns is a fellow architect. I was a practicing engineer in California. I ran my own firm, so. We understood the domain, we understood the pain points, and and then with the with the ability to understand the technology and and myself, you know, I I can program in about forty languages, I can read code and write code just like people read their books. Um, so it was very easy for me to translate those ideas into actual software and not be dependent on somebody who, you know, couldn't understand the pain points and didn't understand the users. So that's kind of my story. Now, as you've had the exceptional opportunity to be able to travel, you know, internationally and visit different AE firms, take a look at their their businesses. And yesterday when we talked, you talked about the unique perspective that has given you in regards to some firms that are struggling and some firms that are doing well. So I'd really like to dive into your suggestions for best practices for what makes a firm run well. Talk to me about what you've discovered as you've traveled. Absolutely. I love that. <clears throat> One of the things that we do uh, is we try to learn from data. Now, data, of course, is you know not biased. It has no emotions. It'll tell you what's true and what's false. Uh, and, and as we give, grow over the user base, uh, one of the opportunities I get is to travel and visit customer offices. Um, and from that, I get to spend sometimes a day uh, at the customer's office. And sometimes, you know, it may be just uh, spending half a day. Uh, but either way, we get to learn a, a lot about how people run their businesses. <clears throat> and I was telling you yesterday that one of the things that I observe is uh, because I'm a former engineer, so, you know, I'm, I'm good at numbers and I, I like to analyze things is I, I look back at all my data collections that I bring in and and all the data that I already had about the customer and I try to compare. I'll give, give you a good example. There are two architectural firms in the same zip code. Both of them are residential architects and both of them have 20 employees. One firm is making $5 million gross billing a year the other is doing only two and a half. So, so there's two things that you can immediately say. One, they have a poor marketing. They don't know how to market themselves. And two, that one architect is more popular than the other. So maybe his designs are better, there's more demand, and he is charging higher fee. Um, both of those things are true. And in, in both cases, that was a factor. Uh, in many cases, that was not a factor. And where it was not a factor, there were other factors that we saw that made a difference. And this is very important for your listeners because many of them are doing everything they can and charging the right rate and delivering awesome designs and yet struggling to make the payroll. And, and, and what are those differences? So the biggest thing we saw uh, 
is in the firms that do well, there were some common um, habits of those businesses that we found among the well-doing firms. So as an example, you know, back in those days, this is early 2000, dual monitors were still new. So we saw that the more successful firms would use technology in every area, whether it's hardware or software, uh, a dual monitor for every employee increased the productivity of the employee, as an example. Um, there were other things that we, we uh, noticed, for example, uh, having, a, uh, having an open book policy. Uh, by open book, I mean you don't necessarily share your P&L with your employees, but you make them understand how the business runs and how their pay is tied to performance you know, of the company. And and share that with them rather than you know hey this is your salary and you know here's your bonus and you don't need to know how much we made you don't need to know what profit I made and keep them guessing and have that hard feeling saying oh my God you know he's making so much money uh, doing all this so businesses that that had that open book policy where managers as well as average employee knew exactly what our goals were what are we trying to hit and what that means for me uh, as an individual. Uh, the third thing was that the owners or the principals of the successful company constantly were reminding their team about what they're doing, why they're doing it, you know, and where they want to be as a business. So it was more like treating the employees like partners rather than treating them like average employees. So employee felt more involved and more relevant in that success path and they knew exactly what their contributions were towards the success. Uh, so that's, of course, uh, most important uh, element is that you you got to motivate your team and make them feel um, that they are part of the business. Uh, there were um, there were a few other things that I noticed. One of them was, um, uh, you know, some of the most of successful firms they met more frequently. So I, I noticed like. You know, some would do standing meeting every every day uh, for five minutes uh, in the kitchen uh, of the project managers, uh, and some of them would actually go to the conference room and do a fifteen minute quick meeting on on updates. So the the collaboration and and staying in touch and sharing you know what everybody is doing and the principals and partners being part of that meeting was creating a better harmony within the team and and others were jumping in saying I can help you with that problem you know you're having this trouble in the project I actually dealt with that same problem on the another project so it was more like timely solutions were were coming out um, this goes without saying that every successful firm that we met embraced the technology at the very early stages so they weren't really waiting for their software to die uh, they were upgrading, they were keeping up with the latest operating system, they were buying the latest hardware. Um, one of the other common elements on the hardware, we found out that that many of them would actually uh, empower their employees with laptops rather than, you know, fixed PCs or, or you know, hard, um, you know, anchored uh, machines. So laptops with, with, uh, with a docking station was a common element. Uh, so giving the employee the power to take the work home, work from anywhere, uh, have the same files with them when they travel, uh, made them more productive and make them more uh, efficient. Um, 
what else vpn was another thing that we saw common between the uh, companies uh, that were successful they empowered their employees at a very early stage you know even when the internet was new uh, they had vpn they had access to their office documents uh, when they were working from home or they were working from uh, uh, from the road or on a, in a hotel while they're traveling or attending a conference uh, and uh, let's see what else did i notice there was a uh, recognition so the company would do at least something two to three times a year where they would recognize people for their success or successful project or successful completion of a project or a great design or an award that somebody or somebody might have passed his you know exam so whatever it was it was a constant recognition because uh, at the end of the day it's not the cash that drives the average person to work hard it's that recognition um, and that pat on the shoulder that they're looking for that means a lot to them sometimes more than a bonus check so often what i've seen is in a in a company where, where employees are unhappy one of the reasons of being unhappy was that the boss never really talks to them you know other than their annual review and even then, he is spending time criticizing what went wrong rather than, you know, recognizing what they did right. So, uh, so praise in, you know, praise in public and discipline privately or talk, you know, about bad things privately was something that we saw a trait of a successful firm. Um, of course, you know, they were all using BQE products. So that was another interesting thing. Um, the, the companies that weren't doing that well, <clears throat> were also using some of these technologies, but it was really that management style where the segregation between the management and the team was too big and therefore the isolation and not the drive. In many cases, people feeling like this is all I have to do. I have to draft this thing. I have to finish this thing. That's my job. I want to go home as soon as this is done. While as the other company saying, I want to build this. I want to see this project finish on time. I want to finish this. I want to get recognized. We're going to submit our design to these these um, uh, you know avenues and and hopefully win awards and get recognized. So there was that constant excitement in those successful firms. Well, and what suggestions do you have in addition to that? What pointers do you have in terms of if we jump over now to actually the firm management side of things? What suggestions would you give our listeners in terms of kind of the forward-looking things that you're seeing that that the more innovative form, uh, firms are implementing? Oh, absolutely. So, um, so one of the things that I truly believe is that the software will be the dominant force for the next few decades. Um, we are going to run literally our businesses and in our lives with software and in many cases you know we already see this uh, where you know companies like uber um, which really don't own any hardware or any in you know assets or or even don't have employees yet it's one of the world's biggest taxi company or or airbnb for that reason you know uh, doesn't have any hotels but it's the biggest hotel company in the world right now um, i do believe that that the businesses that uh, are hesitating to make the change because they fear the change, uh, I always tell them that if you're going to fear the change, you're going to hate the irrelevance uh, because you're going to be irrelevant. I mean, Kodak 
did not take the step at the right time and they became irrelevant. You know, although the writing was on the wall, people were switching to digital cameras and they could have dominated that um, area. So it's very critical for businesses to understand the importance of intelligent software that can make their life easier, make them more productive, and more importantly, allow them to focus on things that they're passionate about. You know, I'm an architect, I want to design. I don't want to be the accountant of my company. You know, I don't want to be the compliance master. I don't want to be dealing with the legal factors. You know, there's software for everything today that bring in tremendous experience to the business at a very low cost. Um, one of the things that um, I also see is uh, going to be big is going to be mobile. So uh, it's already obvious to some that mobile is now driving uh, the, uh, the computing power. Uh, average person now spends more time on their cell phone computing or, or going to the social media sites than they did on PCs. So Facebook reports that you know more than 80% of the users actually go to Facebook on mobile devices. So is that going to happen in businesses? Absolutely yes. Now what does that mean for your business? Um, that means that you suddenly opened up the door for seven or eight extra input devices that did not play a factor in you know it's no longer keyboard and mouse anymore it's the camera it's the motion sensor it's the gps it's every instrument that is in that mobile phone that can tell you where your employees are how much time they spent on the job site um, you know how much mileage did they actually incur in going and coming back to the job site all of that can be tracked by the machines so i do believe that we are going to move away from data entry to being the guardians of the data and essentially at the same time be able to act on it uh, to, to make better business decisions. So we're, we're no longer going to get into our accounting software and, and enter those uh, checks. Uh, we are going to get into our accounting software and all the checks or all the uh, payments we have made are going to appear there automatically because our accounting software will download them from the banks and all of our credit card transactions will already be there because they'll be downloaded and categorized automatically with the right of chart of account, knowing what's tax deductible, what's not tax deductible. All of that will be done automatically. So I'm a big believer in that we're moving to that no data entry mode where we're going to be more productive and, and focus on looking at the end results and of course spending less time with with uh, data entry and spending more time in in taking some action based on what the technology tells us, uh, business intelligence I believe will be uh, the competitive edge that businesses will have. So a good company um, should look into investing into intelligent software that give them business intelligence. Combine that with a intelligent CRM software, and those will be the differentiators which where people will have that uh, advantage. Uh, I listened to your webinar uh, yesterday and you mentioned about leads as an example. So today artificial intelligence can get you the leads. Uh, people talking about you know remodeling their home on Facebook can be analyzed by software and flagged as a potential lead, right? So, so it's no longer uh, going to be that I'm going to buy this list of 
developers in my area and send them a mass mail and hope that you know it's one of those spray and pray uh, marketing. It's going to be specific targeted marketing where people will watch the social habits of people and from that determine the technology will do that for you and you will then focus on the ones that matter. So investing in such technologies will become the differentiators for, for companies that will thrive and the ones that would stand behind. Definitely get away from everything that you used to do 10-15 years ago because what has happened in last 10 years in the world of technology, uh, especially the influence of the mobile devices, uh, is a game changer for how the new businesses will thrive and how the next generation will run their business. Well, let's go back and talk. So we, this is amazing, though, the power of technology, right, that's, that's upon us and things that are going to be happening are pretty incredible. Let's, let's jump back to the early days of BQE. Uh, was it always cake and roses when you started up that company? Was it smooth sailing from the moment you set out to do that? Oh, absolutely not. I think um, just like any other software company or any startup company, we struggled. Um, I, uh, you know, I worked very hard to try to keep the company in black. Um, you know, we were really uh, not getting enough customers the way I thought it would. Uh, although we stayed in black throughout, but it was, um, it was actually a review in PC Magazine. Um, that was done <clears throat> by a very uh, popular reviewer, uh, independent review, that made a difference for us. And that combined with the Y2K concerns, uh, where people finally said, you know what, my product doesn't comply with Y2K, and we need to find somebody who does, and BQE products did. So we saw the change. So so the, we turned that corner around that time, 1999, uh, time frame. The first five years were a nightmare. I mean, this goes without saying. I have held my paychecks, uh, been frustrated whether I did the right move. Uh, but one of the things that I did not do is I didn't give up. I I listened to customers. I constantly issued updates and and have since then. Every year we do a major upgrade. And on a given year, <clears throat> on an average, we do at least 75 to 100 new features. So we were bringing in more value to our customers and solving more of their pain points. And that continues in the history of the company. Even this year, we released with 75 new features. So I know many software that don't even have 75 features, leave alone that we're adding that many more features. So, And this is really staying with the cutting edge, meeting the demands of the technology. Uh, to give you an example, um, we released our first mobile app in 1997 on a flip phone that would use the, the number pad on the flip phone. We did our first web app uh, in 1997. It was a Java app, and when I would demo that to prospects, they thought it was an image until I clicked on it, <clears throat> and then it started responding. They were like, wow, we didn't, you know, we didn't know that was even possible. So, so we, we saw the future when, when many of the companies were still trying to figure out how to Put up a website for their business we had the web apps <clears throat> available we knew that's the future where people should be able to access the software from anywhere we wanted to be agnostic to that location we wanted to be agnostic to operating system and we wanted to be agnostic to the devices so that's why we were you know going into so i think it's that combined with the y2k and combined with a few good reviews that really helped us turn the corner and and it's been great since then 
Okay. Well, in your in your personal life, so those are kind of external factors. I'd like to jump into some some internal factors in terms of stuff that you personally did that you felt were really key in causing that growth curve to go up. You know, you talked about the first couple of years struggling as every new entrepreneur does, wondering if you did the right thing. And there had to have been a time when it, it you just saw it, you were doubling or you saw these increases year over year. And I'd just like to know what are your the few things that you felt contributed to that that you did? Well, number one was that I did not have enough money to invest in marketing. And I... Um, I underestimated the power of marketing. Uh, if people don't know, they do, just don't know, right? So no matter, you might make the world's greatest product, but if you don't know how to market it, <clears throat> then that product will stay invisible for the rest of the world. Uh, so one of the things I did is uh, in 1997, 98 timeframe is started uh, hiring consultants uh, that would teach us marketing. And, and many of them, actually worked for us as consultants. So the first thing they did is said, what's your budget for marketing? And I was spending less than 8% of my gross revenue on marketing. So um, so I had started a company and I didn't have much money. I, I had friends and family help me out with some cash as a seed money. And I realized that if I don't market this product well, I might as well close the company because there's no way people will know about the product unless you do the marketing. So that was one change I made and I went back to my friends and family, raised some more funds and, uh, and, and hired the right people for marketing and what a difference that made. Uh, as soon as we became visible, we started seeing customers that we would have never imagined would even look at our product because we were a startup a new company. So very big companies started downloading our product and looking at it. Um, and that was the early signs of the uptick in our uh, marketing. So it is a funnel. Um, and I, I, I know that most people that, that run businesses understand the funnel where, you know, the, the top of the funnel is your leads and the bottom of the funnel is your uh, successes or, or wins. Um, and what happens between the funnel is also critical. Uh, that was um, that was um, important for us to refine those processes. So again, another thing that I did not know how to do was, okay, after I got the lead, what do I need to do to nurture that lead correctly so that we end up winning that lead? So where do people really drop off? When do we lose them? When do they stop responding to our phone calls? Uh, we started analyzing that. We got consultants and refined our processes so that we provide a better service as soon as somebody reached out to us. And And I'll tell you one tip on that, and this is one of the most uh, important tips that I learned. The, the time it takes you to respond to an online inquiry is a differentiator that is exponentially uh, visible in your results. So what I mean by that is if somebody would come to our website and download our product, if we reached out to that person within next 30 minutes, the chances of us having a good meaningful conversation with that prospect were significantly higher than if we reached out an hour later or even two hours later, leave alone days later. So the life of that or the, or the warmness of that lead would cool off very fast after the first 30 minutes. So we had, you know, 
people, we had a system, we developed a system which would alert people that a new leads come in, the rep that would get assigned and that rep would reach out to that and we would then display that every week on the dashboard what the average response time was for us to respond to the new leads. So that's because, you know, if I'm the website, I'm researching a product uh, or I'm re looking for an architect, I'm in that mood right now and I'm doing that project right now. And if you reach out to me right now, I, I don't see that as a disruption. I see that as a help to what I'm already doing. So timeliness was very critical um, in that area. So, so it was a lot of factors, but, uh, but hiring the right consultants, putting more money into marketing, of course, uh, was, was a big mistake that I made initially. I wasn't put enough. And once I did and hired the right consultants, the pipe got bigger at the top and then suddenly it got wider at the bottom too. Um, and the last but not the least was understanding the importance of that we're not going to win any client for one sale. We want to win them for life. That means it wasn't about just winning the customer. It was also keeping the customer that was important. So putting the best trained people on the sports uh, lines and providing that ex exceptional service and going beyond the call of duty and caring for the customer's company being up and running all the time with our products, uh, you know, uh, and understanding that if they're not, that hurts their business uh, was something that I had to uh, learn myself and then teach the team that how important it is kind of to follow that Zappos model. Those Zappos didn't exist back then, but that's the model we were following saying, we got to go beyond the call of duty. Every customer, if they have to get their invoices out and something's not working for them, that calls us, we're not going home until we fix that, you know, and whatever it takes, we will, we will make sure that our customers, we will provide that exceptional service. So touch wood, uh, 20 years later, I still have customers from my 1.0 product and some of them have really thrived from three employees to 300 employees. So amazing, amazing difference these small changes made in our business. What were some of the first marketing activities that actually started working for you when you started hiring those consultants? So uh, interesting how, um, how the response rate uh, varies from different marketing uh, methods that people use. Uh, back in those days, we were still doing direct mail. Uh, direct mail is a very expensive marketing technique, uh, but it had a high response rate as compared to emails where the open rate on the email uh, would be around maybe 12, 13% and then the, uh, then the response rate where they would you know, either fill in a form or click on something would be more like three, 4%. So email, you have to send thousands to really get a you know, few leads. Um, going to the trade shows was and the most expensive uh, marketing uh, method we used because of the fact that it involves travel and hotel and days off from the work. And then, of course, the cost of being at, at the show. Uh, but we, we did invest in all three. But uh, the magic I found was, at the end of the day, was to somehow be able to demonstrate the product to our user. So very early on, uh, 1997, 1998, we started using the remote um, you know, screen sharing technologies. Back then, you know, we use GoToMeeting now. Back then, it was a different product. It was a product called NetShow, and then it was something else. Uh, but the whole point was, can I make my prospects sit uh, and see the 
product and get a taste of it. So what we did is, and this is probably the most amazing thing that has we continue still doing, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we would invite people for a 45-minute demo of a product at 11 o'clock Pacific time, and it has not stopped for the last 20 years. We still do it. And the conversion rate on that is around 60 to 70%. So six to seven out of 10 people that would listen and watch our demo would buy our product. And there was nothing, there was nothing that we could do better in marketing than marketing the demo. So we, so our focus changed. We said, oh, you know what all we're gonna do? We're not going to sell features. We're not going to uh, sell anything. We're going to ask them for a favor. Take, come visit us for 45 minutes. Give us a chance to show you what we have. And so that you could then, you know, make a decision on what you need to do. And if we could get people to the walkthrough is what we call it, uh, that we knew that 68% of them would convert. So the, the message or the charge to the sales team wasn't about closing. It was about, you got a lead, you got to get that lead to see the product. And once they see the product, you just exponentially increased your chances of closing as compared to if you're going to try to work them yourself and explain to them yourself what the product does and how it helps their business. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening today. If you're looking for more time, freedom, impact, and income as an architect, get instant access to my free four-part architect profit map by visiting freearchitectgift.com. The sponsor for today's show is ArchReach, the client relationship management tool built specifically for architects. If you want to systematize your marketing and business development, ArchReach will help you do it. Visit archreach.com to learn more. expressed on the show by my guests do not represent those of the host and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.